Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, I wanted to start off by letting you know that the issues that we were having with Season 1 episodes are fixed. Apparently, people couldn't download and listen to Season 1, which is Episodes 1 through 37. So if you're a fan of the show and you tried to go back and hear what we were talking about, those episodes are almost all available now. There's still one or two that we're working the bugs out of. Uh, but if you haven't done so, go, go back to Season 1. There's some really valuable stuff there. As a show that attempts to chronicle and aid in the evolution of consciousness, I am constantly floored by how fast we are discovering ourselves. The Great Awakening, it seems, is reaching far, wide, and deeply into our human experience. If the external events mirror our internal state of affairs, then we are fast approaching a brand new chapter and one that will take a leap of faith. Do we have what we need? Will the allies of humanity be there when we need them the most? Can we trust one another as we ready ourselves for the next important chapters? I have repeatedly tapped into myth to help us make sense of the inner landscape, and with good reason. Myth is like a grand old ship, dependable, weather-beaten, and proven in the storm. I sometimes think that if every single person worked with just one myth, one of their choosing, we would all have our maps, and collectively, we would find our way home. My guest today is an expert on reading the mythic landscape and shining a light on all things soulful. If we are all mystic travelers making our way up the mountain, then we all need guides, wise elders who can help us keep our heads and hearts about us. My guest today is one such wisdom keeper. Trisha McCannon is a renowned clairvoyant teacher and mystic. She is the author of several books, including Return of the Divine Sophia. Trisha is also the founder of the Phoenix Fire Lodge Mystery School and has led hundreds of workshops worldwide. Here is my interview with Trisha McCannon. Okay, I am here with Trisha McCannon, mystic, teacher, and author, Trisha McCannon. Trisha, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, Tony, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You know, uh, one of the things, you illustrated the book beautifully. I mean, I was going through it and I was like, these, these drawings throughout the book, uh, uh, Return of the Divine Sophia, were all your drawings. And I was like, whoa, that, do you sell those at all? Or? Uh, no, you're very kind. But, you know, I'm a clairvoyant and a mystic. And uh, I was a commercial photographer for many years and a graphic designer. Ah. So, um, I, I, and I'm a hermetics teacher. And hermetics was the way that the ancients encoded a lot of their wisdom and sacred symbols. And so I really felt like in, in all my books, I have uh, over a hundred illustrations. I think I have four books and probably the first one's only got 30, but after that, we're talking upwards from a hundred to 150 per book. Wow. Well, if I could, if I could draw like you, I would put drawings in my book too. But <laughs> Well, you're very kind. You know, I, I think there are many gifted artists out there and I always feel like I fall short of these profound uh, beings that I see. But when I was uh, actually drawing those images for the uh, Return of the Divine Sophia book, which was my third book uh, of the four I've done, um, what happened was the goddesses would come into my body and help me draw for like four or five hours. And then when I was done, they would move out and be like, well done. Uh. 
So I was very appreciative of the spiritual support that I got from the inner planes. That's great. That's great. You know, um, the subtitle of your your book, Return of the Divine Sophia, um, is Healing the Earth Through the Lost Wisdom Teachings of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene. So this is is clearly a Gnostic uh, book. And I, I wanted to ask you, what can we learn from studying the divine feminine or god or goddess mythology? How can that help us on our soul's journey? I think many Christians might go, well, I can't study Mary Magdalene or goddess mythology because it would it, it's a betrayal of my beliefs. But Gnostics were um, followed Christ and were some of the earliest Christians. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what does what does goddess mythology today uh, hold for us, and how can it help us? Gosh, you know, great question. Um, First off, I think it's important to take a historical view of this. And uh, as they say, the victors write the histories. And Mm -hmm. so the history that most of us know is basically the history that was written by the patriarchy, particularly the Roman Empire that became the Holy Roman Church and, you know, eventually the Protestant churches. And so... um, For many thousands of years, and most people don't know this, there was a time when everyone looked around and they could see in the natural world that everyone that gave birth was a female, no matter whether it was a a cow, a sheep, a human, uh, you know, a goat. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, the universe logically would have been born of the divine feminine. So they believe that God or the creator of all was the divine mother. And that she was present in the world through all the cycles of life and death and fertility and, and crops growing and, 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 and rebirth. Um, and so as long as that model was held as our cosmology, their men and women ruled together in partnership and there was no war in the world for thousands of years, mm. which it's hard for us to even conceive of it. But then what happened is, you know, it became the divine father and mother, which I think is just fine because there's a very beautiful aspect of the divine father and mother. And then it became the daughter and son. And those are the aspects that periodically come to the planet to bring enlightenment. And then what happened is the negative aspect of the patriarchy rose up around um you know, a thousand BC and tried to get rid of the mother, the daughter and the son. And we eventually got the son back with Christianity, which was Mm -hmm. great. The mother got demoted to marry the mother, which, you know, the Catholic Church has been very clear to say, hey, she was just a human woman who lent her womb to the Son of God. Mm -hmm. Although there have been over 250 apparitions of her all over the world and many miracle healings attributed to her. And Mary Magdalene, of course, who was really Jesus's spouse and mate and companion, as they say in the Gospel of Thomas, where, you know, she was literally known to kiss him on the lips and so forth, or he kissed her on the lips. And the Mm -hmm. other apostles said, why do you love her more than us? And he turned to them and said, you understand not the mysteries of marriage. Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying we're married. And so the, when the Catholic church, you know, they, they had a child. And uh, of course that, that lineage was actually supported It was the Merovingian lineage by the church for a few centuries, and then they betrayed that lineage. So in order to cover their tracks in the 500s, they began uh, a smear campaign on Mary Magdalene, basically turning her into a fallen woman 
And, right. you know, because she she must have been the one that had those sins. And what could the sins have been? Well, there's no no place that says that she's a prostitute in the whole Bible, right. in the whole New Testament. But this is the smear campaign. So then, you know, they set up brothels in her name, which, by the way, the, the, the popes would literally go and the cardinals have sex with all the women and take all their money. I mean, it was horrendous what they did. And so now, of course, in the 20th century, late part of the 20th century, 21st century, um, some of these falsehoods are coming to light. In 1979, the Catholic Church came out and said, sorry, we were wrong. Mary Magdalene wasn't a prostitute. Oops, you know, 1,800 right. years of bad press. Right, but, right. you know, it's all it's all water under the bridge now. Yes, indeed. <laughs> right. I know. So. It, it, it's interesting to me um, when I read the Nag Hammadi, and I know you did too, that that Jesus did not teach about original sin. That That's not something he taught it. And, and that original sin was a concept that was invented by St. Augustine in the fifth century. Right. That Jesus said that sin is simply ignorance and that this is what causes our suffering. According to Jesus, suffering is caused by being out of alignment with our divine self. Well, that right. is a quite a different reading of sin yes. than what we were given as, as Christians, as Catholics and Protestants and stuff. Um, and so I, a lot of this is starting to come to light. And I know through like the Da Vinci Code, there's been this renewed interest in Mary Magdalene as this important spiritual figure in the world. And, um, you know, it's she holds a special place for, for Gnostics, certainly, but I, more and more people are getting to be aware of Mary Magdalene and who she was. Why, why do you think it's happening now? Why is it important or relevant now that Mary Magdalene suddenly is having her starting to come back into the sun, so to speak? Well, I think that our planet is out of balance and um, we need to come back into balance. And the thing that's going to bring us back into the balance is the healthy feminine coming up to meet the healthy masculine. Uh, both, we need both. We need both polarities in their uh, illuminated or enlightened form. You know, if we just have the female, it's not complete. If we yeah. just have the male, it's not complete. Uh, there is a sacred masculine and a sacred feminine, and 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 it's time for that balance to re be reestablished. And Jesus even predicts in the Bible when they say to him, "Well, when will you come again?" And he says, "I I cannot come until the divine feminine is re-enthroned in the world." Mm. And uh, there's a whole point, you know, when Mary Magdalene, who went on to teach for many years after Jesus's crucifixion, and um, they had uh, they would go to the Isle of Cyprus, uh, where Joseph of Arimathea had a uh, kind of a pavilion. And every three years or so, five years, Christians and Gnostics from all over would come, and they'd have like a a whole month. And she would teach in the in the early part of the day, and then the whole afternoon would be people sharing their experiences or other teachers sharing their insights. And uh, there's a there's a whole passage you know the gnostics the early gnostics gnostics collected over 250 sayings by mary magdalene uh where she she talks about the divine masculine and feminine and 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 the master's teachings meaning jesus's teachings at one point a woman says to her you know when when will he come and she says you know, basically the, the divine feminine must go through a time of great darkness and where she'll be vilified and um, uh, maligned. But uh, then the time will come when all of that will change again. 
And that's, you know, when you shall know that the time of the, the Christ energy returning to the planet will come back. And I think that's where we are today. I think we're, we're the forerunners of uh, people who have been waking up for the last couple of decades to bring uh, uh, the divine feminine back into the light, back into a place of healing. Beautiful. I love that. You know, I, I saw in one of your sections of the book where you're talking about Mary Magdalene, you said she was considered an incarnation of the goddess Sophia, which I love. We just did an episode on the fallen goddess Sophia and where we mentioned Mary Magdalene. And you said that her, her path was the way of the chalice, which is sort of indicates the grail, which is again, part of the divine feminine mythology and that the way is centered on forgiveness and love. This is really beautiful message. Um, if a seeker of the truth, as, uh, such as myself, was interested in working with Mar Mary Magdalene as kind of an ascended master, you know, I kind of consider myself, I'm realizing I'm kind of a modern day uh, son of the widow in a way, you know, and it's like, how, what would be some symbols that would be useful in working with Mary Magdalene if I wanted to open a channel, if I wanted to, uh, you know, would you create an altar? Would you would add maybe pictures of Mary Magdalene? How, what, what were her symbols that maybe people worked with to make a strong connection to her? Uh, you ask great questions, uh, Tony. Well, the chalice is certainly one of the most potent symbols. It represents really that a union between spirit and matter and the divine masculine and feminine. So the, 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 the cup of the chalice is the feminine, like the, uh, the sickle moon and the stem is the divine masculine. And it's grounded with the base of the chalice in the world of matter on the earth, but it's also open to the nectar of spirit, the nectar of heaven to come in for us to become a clear vessel or a clear channel and of course, many times it's hard for us to be clear channels because our own issues get in the way, our our fear, our self-doubt, our self-criticism, our, our egos, um, all the different ways in which we have been programmed in a negative way that keeps us from our true self. Mm -hmm. um, so the chalice is a great one. Uh, you can certainly, I think, I think altars are wonderful because they actually represent a focal point in the physical world for us doing meditation or a prayer work or invoking spiritual energies. Mm -hmm. And I have a, you know, I have a actually an altar just about uh, 15 feet from where I'm sitting right now. And, you know, it's usually recommended that you, you put on the altar aspects of air, earth, fire, and water. So, for example, a feather could be air, you know, uh, um, flowers could be earth, uh, a chalice if it's made of let's say stone or, uh, or clay, that could be earth. Uh, you could pour a nectar, you know, apple juice, sparkling apple juice in this could also be earth or water. Um, so, you know, whatever rings the bells for you, but you could also put images of, uh, masters or angelic beings. So I have, for example, Mary in her form as the lady of Guadalupe. She's about two or three feet tall on my altar, but I also have Isis. Uh, I have um, um, some of the other uh, beautiful beings I work with. And, you know, you made that comment about um, the son of the widow. For those who don't know, you know, that's what the followers of Isis were called. And then the followers of Mary Magdalene, because I really believe that these are, you know, divine um, beings from the higher realms. You could call them archetypal beings, 
who periodically come to the planet every few thousand years to uh, be way showers for humanity. So Isis and Osiris, for example, uh, I believe were the same beings that came as Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So thousands of years earlier, they were the way showers for a much earlier version of civilization. And of course, very similarly, Osiris was taken out by the dark forces. Uh, Isis, through the power of love, resurrected him and uh, enough to impregnate herself so that she could have his son, who was Horus, the light bringer. And uh, then Jesus, very similarly, you know, um, Mary Magdalene was made the widow, just as Isis was made the widow. So the followers of the I am principle of the Divine Mother is, is Isis, um, you know, literally uh, became known as as the sons of the widow and those who honor the divine feminine, who many times, you know, the divine masculine comes in and he loses his life. Mm-hmm. You know, the dark force takes him out. And of course, in Jesus's case, you know, um, you know, there was a resurrection and, and, yeah. you know, there's a lot of conversation about whether that happened or not. Some people think there was a substitute. I, I don't happen to be one of those people. I happen to be one of those people who really believe that he achieved such a high level of mastery and alchemical transformation in his light body Mm -hmm. that he was literally able to return. And, um, and of course the, the women helped him. There was a whole group of the, of the Magdalene order that was operating in the inner circles of the Essenes and Mary, the mother and Mary Magdalene, Mary Salome, Mary Jacoby, uh, these were all uh, members of that inner circle that would have supported his mission at an energetic spiritual level. I think during the time that he was on the cross and probably left his body. And, you know, there's actually part of the Gnostic teachings are that he went into the uh, underworld. He went into the places where souls had been trapped and freed them from the dark uh uh, places and uh, brought light back. And there are actually stories about people who had died and they came back, they were given like, I don't know, three days or one week or something, and then told that they would be going on to heaven after that. So um, there's some really interesting uh, apocryphal uh, teachings that were written at the same time as some of the early um, uh testaments that we find in the new testament the canonical teachings but they didn't make it into the bible because you know then it would have made people start asking deeper questions about about the great mystery schools that had come before that jesus had obviously trained in i mean he for heaven's sakes he was surrounded egypt was to the south and you know greece was to the north and uh, india was to the east and the Druids, the Druid schools had 60,000 people studying in them at that time. So, right, right. It, you know, he, he was surrounded everywhere in the Essenes, of course, you know, yeah. and the Therapeutae, which were a, a sect of the Essenes that were down uh, near uh, Lake Mariatis, uh, a little south of the city of Alexandria, Egypt. So, yeah, he the mystery schools were everywhere. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize until I read your book, I, I, I had studied a little bit of Isis, Osiris you know, in my circling around with Joseph Campbell and some myth and stuff, but I didn't really see until I read your book, I didn't put it together that Isis and Osiris were kind of an earlier version of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, that he was the slain solar deity, the masculine principle 
um, and that she she was uh, you know widowed and then redeemed him, put him back together in a way, uh, and he, that he was and Osiris was betrayed by his brother, betrayed by the dark side, right? Uh, and I didn't really see that. The, the parallels to that. I just considered that a separate myth. And then in your book, I was like, oh, there is a lot of similarities. It's just like an earlier cycle of our history. It was Osiris and, and Isis that were the primary, uh, you know, carried the solar and the lunar principles. These are the four great Kumaras. The, the four Kumaras are spoken of in the Vedas as the four direct emanations of, of, uh, of the divine father principle. And each one of them has a different MO. So Sanat Kumara is the head of the Great White Brotherhood on the inner planes. Uh, and, you know, very rarely, you know, takes a physical birth in, in the in the earth plane, but wor- works on the fourth and fifth dimensional, sixth dimensional levels. Um, Sananda Kumara is the one who incarnates as Jesus and Osiris. I think his job is really the hardest because he winds up, being the sacrificial lamb that must hold that frequency of unconditional love no matter what. Mm. Um, and then there's Sanantana Kumara who uh, incarnated as, um, well, Sanak Kumara incarnated as Thoth. He's the wisdom carrier that set up all the mystery schools all around yep. the world from the Hermes. Druids. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Hermes. Mm-hmm. And then Sanantana Kumara, they say, incarnates very rarely, only in times of greatest darkness. Hmm. And his MO is he's, you know, like the others, he's a, a lover of the divine. He's a musician. He's a, um, a poet, a healer. But he basically has to pony up and fight the dark forces. Mm-hmm. So this fits the MO of Horus, of Rama, of Krishna. So again, these are divine beings who periodically come in to play a cosmic play down here for the evolutionary enlightenment of humankind. And sometimes it's a great uh, cost to themselves. Uh, I mean, at the higher levels, we don't really suffer, but down here we have physical bodies and, you know, it's not very fun to be killed or crucified or, you know, fighting the darkness. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Not very fun. What a job. It's it's not what love they must have for us, you know, really, you know, I, 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 I wondered who, was the black who or what was the black Madonna? I've seen this in my studies of Gnosticism and and all the wisdom traditions and stuff. I would see black Madonna, and I was like, what what energy is that? What deity is that? Is that the hidden face of the divine feminine? I immediately when I I used to think of the black Madonna, I would think of like the Indian Kali, you know, who was considered the dark. Um, you know, kind of the dark feminine who was the slayer of ego and the slayer of dreams, you know, just kind of, <laughs> you know, cutting it all down, you know, and, and, but I, I don't know, I don't know if I had it quite right, but I wanted to ask you like in your, in your studies and what you found who, who, and, or what is the black Madonna? Well, you know, she really is the, the hidden uh, creator of all. Mm. She's the, she's the, you know, when they, we hear about in Christianity, you know, the Virgin uh, Mary having to do an immaculate conception. It's like, who cares? You know, Jesus was amazing, whether he had physical parents or he was immaculately conceived. But why there's such an emphasis on that is because 
the ancient teachings tell us basically that the creator of all, if you had to say, I mean, ultimately, whoever that being is, is beyond gender. Okay. Because, but the one creator of all, uh, if you had to say male or female, I would say female. So that one birth, the divine uh, father and mother, in other words, it split itself in two, although it couldn't. It's like two overlapping circles creating the Visica Pisces, which is the doorway from which spirit moves into the world of matter. You know, you can call it the cosmic egg. You can call it the eye of God. You can call it the Visica Pisces or the Ithcus, which is the one symbol that Jesus left us, which is the merger of the male and female. And so this is the, this is the doorway from which everything else winds up being created before there were angels, before there were humans, before there were worlds, there was the divine mother and father. So yeah. the, 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 the black Madonna ultimately is the hidden face of the, of the, let's say the plenum, mm -hmm. the plenum from which everything arises. And of course, Isis and Mary Magdalene being aspects of the divine feminine that came down to earth to serve humanity um, and became hidden, hidden mm -hmm. by the church you know, their identity taken from them or maligned, mm -hmm. uh, even though ISIS was literally honored for thousands of years. And, you know, as far as the Far East to up to the Druid lands, Turkey, Greece, um, you know, you just name it all throughout Europe. I mean, Notre Dame, the cathedral is built on, uh, on a place where ISIS and Horus were honored. The same thing with Shark Cathedral. Mm -hmm. All of these you know, great cathedrals that are so beautiful. There are over 500 of them that were built on the sites dedicated to the divine uh, mother, to the goddess. And then the church knowing these were where the ley lines crossed and the uh, energy grid was strongest. And whatever you do there gets put into the grid. They conscripted them for Christianity, which, you know, if it's Christ and the divine feminine and masculine, hey, great, wonderful. But once it becomes shame, blame, guilt, you know, you're going to die for in hell for all eternity. You know, if you don't do what we say, that's not so good. <laughs> you know, right, right. Those aren't such great things to put into the grid. And, you know, and again, I, the Roman Catholic Church uh, while there have been many beautiful, beautiful souls that have followed that teaching and there have been incredible saints like St. Francis and, uh, you know, Hildegard van Biggen and, and many others. I mean, I've gone to Europe many times and I've seen bodies of nuns who had not decomposed in 500 years. Mm. So there have been some many exalted consciousnesses within the history of Christianity. Yep. Let me be clear about that. But. The Holy Roman Empire was really the, the Catholic Church was the it was the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. It used military might to murder, basically, in the name of the God of love, 50 million people. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the, they called them heretics, including Jews, Arabs, Kabbalists, um, you know, other kinds of Christian. There were only 24 sects of Christianity. They murdered them yeah. up until around um, probably 1200s when they went after the Cathars. Then they went after the Knights Templars. Uh, and, of course, they burned many of these alive. And then finally, by the 1300s, they decided to call them witches. Okay, And those were basically the healers, 
the Druids, the people Herbalist. who still had knowledge yeah. from yeah. the mystery school. Yeah. Right. And so anybody yeah. that they felt like threatened their power or their money, you yeah. know, yeah. and that was a whole nother thing was the male priests were allowed to marry for many centuries. But then, of course, they left their their homes to their wife and their children and the church decided they wanted that real estate property. So they made it so that the priest had to be celibate, which is patently unfair really to, to, uh, to the human side of the man who's chosen to serve God. And consequently, you know, we have now pedophilia and things like that because that natural human desire for warmth and closeness got skewed in a, in a very bad way. And all that was about power and money. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, when Christ was, was, uh, alive and teaching and, and learning, there was mystery schools all over the place, Egypt, uh, Greece, Alexandria, uh, India, the Druids. I mean, there was, there was a lot of mystery schools um, being taught all over the place. So there was places for people to study. Um, and you've been the director. I would love to see, you know, kind of a, a, a rebirth of the, the mystery school. Um, I think I think people are ready for it. I think people maybe sometimes cobbled some of these things together, whether it's meditation or vision quest or how do I really work with the divine? What does that look like? I think people are starting to realize that we have kind of latent abilities that have been um, untapped. And so I think people are really looking for how do I grow this side of me that is deeply connected to the divine and maybe can help me plug into some of what my mission is or some of what my my divine birthright is and my inner knowing. Um, and, you know, you, you run, you said something in your book and you run your own mystery school. Um, you said, quote, one of the things Gnostics focused on was the great work, alchemy. This was to liberate the soul from the confines of illusion and help students find a direct connection with the divine for themselves. And by teaching initiates to tune into this inner wisdom, they freed themselves from the traps of the ego and came into harmony with their own divine natures, unquote. This is beautifully said. I think it captures like what, what's the essence of a mystery school. Um, what, what kind of techniques, without giving away too much, if it's a mystery school, I, I assume some things are kind of secret and, and an initiate is not supposed to know what necessarily the next lessons are, but what would be some of the techniques that would be used in a, in a mystery school for people as they're looking to discover maybe their soul's journey? Well, let me, yeah, let me, I'm glad a, you I just, that was, a lot, that was probably a lot there. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Well, yeah. let me first off address. There's two mystery schools that I am actively involved in teaching. One of them is called the Phoenix Fire Lodge Mystery School. And you can just go to my website, trishamcannon.com. And I actually, after many years of teaching in person, uh, I had 12 lessons in the in the first level, and we would do them on the weekends. And for about seven years, I taught them. So if you can imagine, anytime I took on a class of like 12 to 18 people, we were together for about 15 months before they graduated and they, you know, became uh, initiated really through the first level. And uh, the second level were the Egyptian mysteries, and then the third level was the merger of the of the two together. And so after many people asking me all over the world, you have this online. And for a long time, I had to say, uh, 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 no, sorry, I don't. I eventually got the first 12 lessons, which are 100 to 180 pages with about 250 images and table of contents and processes and ceremonies and and 
you know, foundational teachings for spiritual meditations and uh, processes and teaching hermetics, teaching soul travel, teaching all these things. I finally got them online. So Beautiful. you can go online and you can order them. They're like $99 a piece. Or if you order the first three, it's $225. So you save yourself 75 bucks. And, you know, some people order all 12 at once. Some people order six. Some people start with three. That's fine, as you wish. And so then the other place I would send them is... Um, a website called the way of truth mystery school.org and okay. it's .org because it's a nonprofit organization and it's really a path of the light and sound of God. And these are masters that I've been working with since I was 19 years old, which is, you know, a few decades ago. And they teach specifically uh, how to do soul travel for yourself. So how you can shift your consciousness outside of your body and begin to have your own direct experiences with uh, masters with sages with angelic beings and with divinities that dwell on the higher levels well trisha thank you so much for coming on base camp for men and sharing your insights and your wisdom and thank you for writing such beautiful books return of the divine sophia such a great book there's so much information in there um, you're a really good writer, really good artist and mystic. Um, I'm intending to do a, a, one of your soul readings uh, for my birthday in the fall and hopefully doing an episode about the experience of doing that with you. So I look forward to that. And once again, thanks so much for everything. Oh, my, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you for having me. And maybe we can do a, another show if you're interested in this about, you know, one of my other books. The, the Jesus book is amazing. It's a tour de force of the mystery schools. And sounds like it might be right up your alley. Absolutely. Thank you, Tricia. My pleasure. God bless, Tony. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Tricia McCannon. To find out more about Tricia, order one of her excellent books or book a reading with her, which is something I'm going to do, go to www.triciamccannon.com. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Base Camp for Men.